You know, um, I love you, Henry. Oh, I really do. But when I step on that squash court, I fucking hate you. I fucking hate you from the time I step first step foot yeah. on that shiny little court till the, the time I step off. I fucking hate you. I would say that doesn't really, you know, you need to be calm. You need to be neutral. You need to have no emotion whatsoever, you know, because that's what I'm like. I'm like, you are. I'm so, I'm like a fucking statue. I'm so sanguine. Bullshit. <laughs> Derivative. That's horseshit. Yeah, but. You I mean, and I are both guilty of. Anger. Anger, passion. Yeah. And potentially some naughty words. I think you smashed your racket on the wall, didn't you? A little bit. A little bit. Just a just a smidge, and uh, well, it's just because I started off so well. Yeah, and then, two games up. Yeah, and and the first game was a trouncing. I think it was eleven eleven three. It was a bit of a trouncing. And then you know, I, I, firstly the racket was wrong. I could sense something was wrong. You know, I wasn't in the mood. The second game was closer, and I thought, okay, let's you know, let's kick in, let's win this thing. And you know, we did it in the end. We got there. Um, it was a good game though I really enjoyed it it was the best game we've played together I was just about to say that yeah. very very that fun said that to Dan, Dan as he came in like it was the best it's the mo- it was the most fun I had mm. yeah because yeah. it was quite intense not passion oh I haven't got my notes up let me just get those up, why, get those up. why don't you do the uh, intro and I'll yeah get okay those so um, my name's Alex my name's Henry and uh, this is Commons Commotion so we talk about what's going on in politics so, yeah. yeah I'm um, thinking this is just off the cuff. Yeah. You ever thought we, you know, we should do a bit of American politics or anything, or not? Not really. Um, I don't pay too much attention. No. To... Do you not? Well, I, I do like the big stories, but like not the um, not the the big ones. Not the big ones. Sorry. So you pay attention to not the big the stories, ones. but not the big ones. No, but I was just thinking, you know, the whole the whole governor race recently that could be quite important. Anyway, it's a discussion for without the podcast. What are we going to be mm. talking? What are we actually going to be talking about this week? So I think we started talk like discussing what topics we're going to be doing quite late this week. But a bit it, of laziness creeping into the podcast. A little bit. <laughs> However, I'd like to give us a bit of a round of applause. This is our fifth week in a row. It's pretty good. That's pretty good going. It's pretty good. I mean, I think all of our two listeners will be extremely. Well, um, uh, actually, Alex, I'll have you know there was only one listener last week. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. Oh, was really? It you? No. So it's someone. Oh, hang on. Maybe. Well, oh, yeah. on the age ranges, it said it was above your age, so maybe it wasn't. Okay. Oh, it at least it's might have been someone. All right. Anyway, sorry. We're going to talk about the continued sleaze um, issue that's happening in um, Westminster at the moment, or the storm in a teacup. As um, who dismissed it as that? Someone. Ah. George Eustace, George Eustace, oh, really? the Environment Secretary, uh, said, dismissed it as a storm in a teacup. It's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about the polls. You want to talk about the polls? Yes, please. Um, we're going to talk about the vaccine mandate for NHS staff, something I have a lot of opinion on. Um, I think there'll be some good discussion on that. Uh, we're going to talk about COP26, which is literally still going. I was reading about it this morning, and there's still stuff coming in, which is really exciting. I'm uh, all, but I'm also over it. I'm, like, I'm glad it's ending. Well, let's get to that. I... Never ending, isn't it? Bloody environment. Well, yeah, it's the sort of thing that if we don't... Anyway, we'll get, we'll get into that. And, and Article then, 16. And Article 16, which we're... I know you've... I've done some prep. I've done it... a tiny bit of prep. It could be bad. But anyway, well, why don't we start with sleaze? Because yes, sleaze. We, we talked about it last... <laughs> <laughs> we talk... Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> they just do as they sleaze, don't they? <laughs> Are they all related to the word please? No, those are the three I wrote down. Um, go on. So anyway, you didn't have to release them all at once. <laughs> I wanted to anyway, release them all Because um, I said last week that I really hope more stuff comes out about it and, mm. and it sort of rumbles on a bit more. It's done exactly that, hasn't it? it Owen has. Patterson has been replaced by Geoffrey Cox, I would say, is the main... Was the main... Uh, topic of main yes. discussion at the yeah, moment. That's right. Um, what did he do again? Jeffrey Cox. Mm. Well, mm, arguably, f- rules-wise, he hasn't done. Less- no, this is this rules-wise, he hasn't done a lot wrong. But it smells t- of corruption. But t- to t- me. T- tell me what he did. <laughs> okay, sorry. So um, this year, he's earned over one million pounds working as a barrister while also being an MP. He also um, spent a month of this year. Um, 
working in the British Virgin Islands um, while also you know completing his duties as an MP and he also used his parliamentary office to complete some some expensive barrister work as well mm. so the first wait which one the first two are not against the rules What's that? you can earn as much money as you want in a second job if it doesn't come into conflict with the work you're doing as an MP mm-hmm. so that's not against the rules number two you can spend as much time in the Virgin Islands as you like doing your work if you if that's what you want to do um, and his argument was that it's for his constituents to then say at the at the um, when they go to vote for him or not if 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 they you know think that's okay for him to do those things. Fair it's enough. very interesting that he seems to have quite a safe seat when he's saying that. Yeah, extremely um, safe. And I, I don't know. Do you, do you want to say anything else about Jeff Cox before we go into something? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and then the the one that is against the rules is is using your parliamentary office to uh, complete work as a barrister because then you're you're literally use it, spending money uh, public funds money by using those offices to complete work on on a private matter. Um, I would I would say yes, although those things you know the two big ones there aren't against the rules. I'd say they don't sit well with me, and I think they, they probably should be against the rules. No, they, they simply don't pass the sniff test yeah. of the, from the public, do they? I mean, so, you know, an MP who's meant, whose primary job is meant to be working for the constituency, uh, constituents, advocating for them, voting on their behalf, um, taking, you know, parliamentary matters, etc., etc., shouldn't be... Nobody runs on the ticket of running an MP saying, I'm going to do this and another job. They'll yeah. say, I'm going to fight for you day in, day out. They don't say, I'm going to fight for you part-time, I'm going to go and work yeah, in consultancy I, I would just say, like, you know, if you want to be, a, you know, a, a lawyer making stacks of money, you know, doing loads of consultancy work and selling yourself in a virgin line, then just go and do it, mm. you know? But you don't also be an MP at the same time. Did you see Did you see the the house that he stayed in? Oh, it was gorgeous. lovely. Absolutely Saw it gorgeous. on the Guardian, obviously, because they're, they're digging their claws right in. I love it. I love um, it. But yeah, I did. Yeah, I did see that, um, and you know, I just think, yeah, it, it it doesn't sit well with me personally. I I think the rules should be changed in terms of second jobs. Um, but again, it's like a hard one because some some MPs do have second jobs that are actually quite well. This good, this is the so. thing. You've got you've got some uh, MPs who used to be accountants, doctors, nurses, and I think in terms of a, of a professional job, there is uh, sufficient validity to to wanting to continue that. Being a GP, Dr. Rosanna Alin Khan, who's a who's the MP for Tooting, she's an A and E doctor. She works I don't know how many days a month in an A and E, does a shift in an A and E department. Completely okay. No one's going to be you know raising eyebrows about that. Right. But I think it's where you know you literally have Jeffrey Cox. It said there, it said that he was work. He was declaring that he was working forty one hours extra a month. You know, on top of his constituency work, and you've got to think. You know, if he's getting pe- being paid more um, via his consultancy work uh, through the law firm um, than he does an MP, what's going to take um, priority here? And th- and that's where serious conflict of interest comes up. So, but the, I, I guess the problem would be then who decides what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. You so, know, so, so you, you know, you can't just say, yeah, being a nurse and a doctor is a great thing, and but then say. But being a solicitor isn't a great thing. Who is it's quite a I'd say it's not an objective thing to look at. Who is then gonna be the person to say, No, you can't do consultancy work, but you can, you know, be a doctor or whatever. Who, who Yeah, I mean and and I know that listening to some radio shows this week, James O'Brien was saying maybe there should be sort of a, a second jobs commissioner almost. Right. And a commissioner that should look at the potential conflict of interest um, but I, I think there's already a, you know, sort of a, an internal. What's her name, Kate um, Catherine Stone, who 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 is about is about you know making sure there's no corruption and you know making sure everything's above above board. Um, and I think in terms of the whole second jobs thing, you know, you've got over a quarter of Tory MPs who are in second jobs, working second jobs, amounting to an extra four million pounds a year. Wow! So Jeffrey Cox is almost a quarter of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What an absolute baller! And actually, like, and, and the thing is, you raise an interesting point about the rules because all of this is part of the rules, like uh, not not breaking the rules. Sorry, um, but people just don't 
don't get don't they don't like it at all and i think you've got a lot of a large group of Tory MPs from the 2019 intake and and others as well who are now completely unwhippable because they've been really in terms of the whole U-turn over the Owen Patterson thing they're so angry we talked about it last week they're so pissed off I've been told to vote for one thing and now the the other and also in terms of the second jobs thing doesn't sit well with red wall red wall I think that's understandable because when you know if you're a Tory MP and, and, and you're being forced to vote to remove the twenty pounds uplifts on universal credit, mm-hmm. while also working as an MP earning eighty one thousand pounds a year and having a second job as well on top, it just smacks of hypocrisy. And then to turn around and say, "Oh well, we need our second jobs," you know, we we, we struggle otherwise. It just doesn't. It's not. How is that gonna? Is it, you know? It, it just. I feel like the government as well has dealt with it so wrong. Like there was a big debate that happened. You know, that happened the day after all this Owen Patterson stuff came out. Where did the PM go? He legged it up to Northumberland to a hospital where he's seen sort of strutting about maskless. We will talk about that later. But, you know, I mean, I, he doesn't. He never seems to face th- th- these problems. No. And then more and more things are, like, coming down now and he, he's not really dealing with them right at all. No, and, and just on that maskless business, a lot of people were thinking it's a bit of a dead cat because he... I'm not, I work in hospital I, I wear a mask from the moment I set foot into a hospital to the moment I step step out of one and um, I get asked why I'm not wearing a mask um, if I'm not eating or drinking um, when I'm not wearing a mask at work um, so and apparently according to the mirror he was asked three times to wear a mask so this is obviously some sort of ploy to try and divert attention away from the whole sleeves thing and just with Boris Johnson he seems to be potentially future-proofing, and I meant to talk about this last week. He was potentially future-proofing um, against himself because I know he's being investigated by um, the anti-corruption commissioner, or whatever um, Catherine Stone. Is that um, over the second holiday? Is that over the holiday? I think, and Wallpapergate. Still, well. oh yeah, but that's that's. I think that will rumble on now. I'm not sure if that Wallpapergate will. Um... I'm not sure if the report will be completed by the time of the next election. It does depend. It does take well, ages, it, apparently. This is the thing. He's trying to, to give himself a, a way out, an appeal process. Yeah. Um, and also you have, like, there's so much hypocrisy in this whole thing. It's such a big... I've got so many notes, and I, I need to go through them all, but I'm, I'm a bit going bouncing around here. And you've got Natalie Elphick, who... Natalie Elphick? Yeah, who's who t- overtook... Uh, who um, took the place of... Um, that Tory MP, Miss, I can't remember his first name, Mr. Elphick, who actually got sent to prison for, for doing something. Uh, and she said to Ra- Marcus Rashford that um, he was to focus on his day job. And of course, uh, when he was helping with this sort of school meals. And of course, what does what comes to light? Tell me. Job, Tell me. She got a fucking second job. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it does smack of hypocrisy. I think the whole thing smacks of double standards. Um and you know, if, if we can, do you want to? Do you want me to blend smoothly onto the polls about how that's uh, to the polls? I've got a lot. I've got too much to say. No, no, is the answer. You want to carry on? I want to carry on with this. Keep, yeah. keep going. Then. Um, so, a couple of my thoughts in in regards to this whole thing is that you've you've had a constant drip of corruption and sort of cronyism at the top of this government for a while now. You've had the whole thing with Bernard Castle with sort of forming a, a protective ring around. Um, Topic Cummings when he did wrong. You've got the whole uh, COVID contract things about giving lots of money to to um, companies that are, are direct links to toy donors or or MPs themselves and the fast tracking of that with no tender. Um, and you know we know from the expenses scandal in two thousand nine the public don't like this at all. It it just doesn't simply you know politicians of any colour fiddling with it, with expenses or gorging themselves in the in the trowel of greed doesn't work. That doesn't sit right like right with them. Um, but is this going to stick until the election time? No. You know? Absolutely not. Mm. There'll be no way it sticks to election time. Um, and because it's a long way off yet, you know, he doesn't have to call on for another couple of years. Um, and he can even delay that again for, you know, push that to three well, years no, uh, if he fixed needs em, to. Fixed terms partner. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't think it will stick. It's just whether enough damage can be done you know, to to the backbenchers and even to his own cabinet, that's that you know he'll, he'll have to change things that he doesn't necessarily want to change. Um, 
but it, but what but I think what it does do is it, it sort of puts the prime minister th- for the first time in a different light as not necessarily someone who is lovable a nice person um a bit of a a bit of a bumbling fool but you know someone you'd like to have a, a pint with mm. to suddenly someone covering for his now you can see evidence of him covering for his eaten mates running away from problems you can't be positive in the face of blatant corruption you know by your own party and if i what i think he'll do is not deal with it appropriately because he doesn't want to because it, he, he he can't because it's too hypocritical because he is not clean himself and when he doesn't deal with it appropriately many I think, senses of the word yeah <laughs> and when he doesn't deal with it appropriately i think that will stick it's how he reacts to the problems rather than the problems themselves. Yeah, I think he's taking sort of the, the, the approach of sort of if we just ignore it long enough, it'll be swept under the carpet. Um, and I read an article in Politic, Politics Home today that suggested apparently a lot of Tory MPs, like I said, are pissed off at being whipped and sort of having instant U-turns. Apparently, you know, they said if this sleaze thing isn't gone by the summer, they'll want Boris Johnson out. Really? Yeah, that's from a, a conservative source. Yeah, I mean, it could it it could definitely happen. I, I don't think that's out of the question at all. Mm. Um, just because of yeah, how things are going, you know, I think things have been stacking up quite a lot recently in a short space of time. But I think I think that might actually it may actually end up being a good thing for the Conservative Party. I mean, you've got a lot of. Um, senior cabinet members and, and, and members close to Boris, who I think could win an election themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to to get rid of Boris, perhaps not now, but if, if if things continue to go wrong and people continue not to be happy, if you say like they'd said in the summer, get rid of him in the summer. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people that could step in and I think do a very good job against Keir Starmer. And there's plenty of time as well before the next election. Yeah, I mean, you've got Sunak, you've got mm. Gove, you've got whoever you know there's you've got lots of options there whereas i don't think labor has that deep of a bench i think the conservatives has a very deep selection of candidates they could pick from that well, would do rather well i mean what about uh, andy b yeah andy b yeah we love but andy b we, we do love andy b but um just coming on to that um i think that, that you know it comes on to the onto the question of like what is johnsonism there is no real answer to that. And I think that, you know, they stick with Boris Johnson because he's an election winner. He's likeable and he'll win them the seats. But in terms of his politics, he's not really got an agenda, you know, agenda. He's, he's not of, really he's a, a proper, conservative, uh, proper conservative in the in the, in the the way that old conservatives and backbenchers like him to be. You know, he's mm-hmm. a bit, he likes spending, he likes big projects. He's he's actually quite a big fan of, of bigger government involvement in things instead of having a smaller state. Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. No. I, I think maybe more than a conservative would like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he's not. He's not. You know, he's not Tony Blair or whatever. No. But um, yeah. But more than perhaps mm. you know David Cameron mm. and and past uh, conservative past leaders Thatcher, have been exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I mean, if they did decide to get rid of him, I, I still think they'd be fine. And I, I think that's a pretty damning indictment of. Keir Starmer and the Labour Party, mm. to be honest. Yeah. Damn. Should we talk about Labour? However, <laughs> why didn't you, uh, having said that... Having said that, Labour has recorded its first six-point lead in the polls. Six big ones. For a very long time. I saw that at the start of the week, they just opened up their first lead of a single point, and that was the first time since January. Mm-hmm. But that's now extended to six points. That's the biggest it's been in a long, long time. I think one Pardon? listener I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's fantastic and that, and I think that it's not necessarily because of something la- anything labor have done. I don't think they've done anything. I actually don't I don't think necessarily yeah. they've even pushed that hard on this lease thing. I'm happy I was happy that Keir Starmer started using the word corruption. For that's like about it. It's more it's more been like newspaper headlines that I've seen to be honest. So I know we talked about the term sleaze and whether it would cut through. Apparently Lots of pollsters, when they talk to normal people, uh, people on the streets, sorry, if they bring up the Tory party, they are themselves bringing up the word sleaze. So I think, despite you and I hating the word and preferring the the, the, the sort of sharper word of corruption, sleaze is cutting through, I think. Oh, that's good. I mean, 
I, I think it was slightly factored into Johnson already that it was a bit sleazy. But yeah, I think I think to a larger extent now the Conservative Party is being blanketed with that once again, almost like we're sort of like back in the nineties again, which mm. is good. Mm. Well, good for Labour anyway. Um, so yeah, they recorded their first six-point lead in the polls. Again, I don't think it's necessarily anything to do with them. I think it's the Conservatives shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. And I, I've got a little stat that sort of backs up that. So. Boris Johnson, personally, is still ahead in the polls against Keir Starmer. As who's best Prime Minister? As who's most suited to be, yeah, mm. the next Prime Minister. He's 26% people said that he would be a good next Prime Minister, and Keir Starmer is still only 25%. I mean, and Keir Starmer hasn't done anything wrong. I think he, you know, he always... Uh, the things that he's been releasing... Who's the other 51%? So, I think it was like 40%. Sorry, 41%. Something... Forty percent of them said neither of them. Okay, <laughs> and um, then they, and then some of them obviously said I don't know, or like undecided or whatever. Um, or Davy. So so most people, <laughs> most people actually would prefer neither of them at the moment. But I think that's generally what happens with politicians anyway. Sorry, statistically, no. Most people. Oh, no. More people would prefer either one or the other. Got but, it. God, sorry. <laughs> But yeah, I think that uh, I think that particular poll shows that although the Conservatives are doing badly, uh, doesn't mean that Keir Starmer's doing well. Yeah, you know, um, and and he's I don't think he's pushed enough. This is the time you're so far out from an election. Why are you worried about treading on toes right now? Just go out there and get on the box and try and slaughter him as hard as you possibly can. You're right. And push news stories out there. You're right. And actually, like he's got. He's got sort of nothing to lose because exactly. I mean, at the moment, he's sort of stepping back and letting them letting them shoot themselves in the foot and sort of squabble amongst themselves, which arguably is a, is a good tactic. You're not you're not you're not being seen as sort of as sort of swaying in there. And also, there's the whole thing about um, supposedly he was offered work as well as a second job when he was shadow Brexit secretary, I think, right. or or as an MP. But I don't think he ever went through with it. Um, but I don't, I don't know whether that's him sort of stopping himself from going. Am I boring you? No, sorry, I just had a little yawn there. Oh, I'm still very. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if uh, you know that's stopping him from wading into it. Um, also, you know, there is the argument that potentially this drop in the polls is just midterm blues. Yeah, typical midterm blues could very well be. Oh, but but six points is not uh, insignificant. It's, you're right, and actually the the scale at which the their leaders drop the, sorry the the the, um, the time scale on which it's dropped is quite significant yeah because you know even a few months ago they had a big big lead over labor but i think it, again it's it's indicative not although sleaze is a very important reason why this has happened there's also many other reasons why this has happened i mean um you know the the vac we no longer have a quotation marks world beating vaccination program which the government very easily took credit for mm. um, the sleaze thing is, a, is, is still a big issue what what else is going badly for them at the moment I wouldn't say COP has been necessarily the success would, um, they've, no, they've no, trumpeted no. Up to no. be we'll talk about that later yeah. so there's a, it's a myriad of factors um, and I really hope that Keir can it's a good opportunity f- for him now to boost his own likeability mm. before you know, trying to boost the Labour Party's likability. And actually, well. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and sort of the pollster uh, from uh, I think it was Britain Elects um, was talking, and apparently, when Tory voters decide not to vote Tory, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to vote Labour or any other party for that matter. Um, you know, they decide just not to vote at all. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Drops in Tory polling does not necessarily equate to a Labour gain. Okay. Um, and also you've got the other sort of fringe parties such as the Lib Dems, the Greens, in particular the Greens. You know, when people don't vote Labour, they usually vote for, you know, if they're lefty, liberal, or in between. Or they, used to, they used to vote Liberal Democrat, but now they're probably going to vote Green. Yeah, I mean, I, I vote Green. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily equate to yeah. one losing out to the other you know there are other parties involved and I know that you know looking at the po- some of the polls as well so the Greens are sort of jumping ahead and swallowing up some of that Tory um, those Tory leads that sorry Tory points God, can't get my words yeah. out um, 
But yeah, I, I, I mean, it's good because it, I think also what it does is it, it eases pressure on Keir Starmer a little bit. Um, I, I would say that he hasn't always been in the most firm position in terms of his party and, and, and voters being completely behind him as a leader. But, you know, when you're ahead in the polls, you know, you can't... Something re- to point at. Okay. Exactly. You say, saying. look, this is how mm-hmm. I'm doing. I've I've managed to purge um, the Corbynites from, from the Labour Party and we're ahead in the polls and I've only been here a year, well, just over, what was it, a year and a half now? Mm. So... This brings in the question, actually, like, do you think polls midterm are... Pretty irrelevant, I'd say. Yeah, pretty irrelevant because... Because we know that Johnson is a fantastic campaigner and he's not doing any campaigning right now. So why would the polls be relevant, mm. do you know? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the by-election. I think the bi- be I think the by-election is going to be really interesting. Um, uh, I think it'd be a really good test for some of the non-Tory parties to see whether they can work together and well I just think that obviously there's no, I don't think personally there's a, uh, any chance that they'll take the seat I think it'll be a conservative seat but if we can see which there's two seats two seats of grabs oh what's the other seat Cheshire and Amit, uh no Sid Bexley and Sidcup who which is James Brokenshire's seat and then oh, you've got North Shropshire which is Owen Patterson's seat yeah um well, focusing on the Owen Patterson seat, mm. I think that it will remain conservative. But if you can see a big Labour gain or a less slightly big Green gain, then Keir Starmer can point to that and see, you know, mm. say, look how far we've come already. We're really pushing them hard on this. Um, and as we, as you know, as we move into the next election cycle, sit with me and we'll see what we can do. Mm, absolutely. Should we talk about COP? Yes, please. So. Um, I think they literally today or yesterday, um, they, they've man- so the parties and delegates at COP have managed to broker a deal uh, last minute, way past the um, the deadline. deadline of five pm in the afternoon. Um, and I, I think that there's a couple of things that are really really good. So one of them is uh, revisiting emission cutting plans next year to try and keep it below the one point five percent target. Which is great because, yeah, and sorry, I'll get through the the points. The first ever inclusion of a commitment to limit coal use, which is great. And Mm. also increase, hang on, we'll get onto that. And then the increased financial help for developing countries, which I think is a really key thing. That's 100 billion, yeah. Yeah, and we talked about that um, a couple of weeks ago. I I talked about sort of the responsibility that developed nations have to give to developing nations. nations because they are going to be a little bit behind the times they're going to be a little bit outdated and they definitely should be giving more money uh, to to those developing nations and that's what yeah and i've also seen that um it had been disclosed again after the deadline that they confirmed obviously the 100 billion a year goal um which they actually haven't yet hit didn't hit it last year um, I think they only hit like 80 billion last year but they confirmed the 100 billion going forwards and they also made a commitment or not necessarily a commitment they pointed to trying to upgrade that fund to a trillion dollar Ooh. per year by 2025 Excellent. so we'll have to see if that ever takes shape because that is a hell of a lot of money it's a lot of money but this is an important issue no yeah. I agree I'm just saying that's a big jump it is a big you jump can't, you haven't even hit 100 billion a year yet and you're looking for a trillion thing is I think obviously as these cops start happening these cops uh, these conference of parties meetings keep happening there's going to be more and more hurt in terms of how climate change is affecting countries and i think unfortunately the climate change is already hitting um some some poorer nations already and that's why they're so upset about some of the sort of the watered down version of the deal that was pushed through when i say the watered down version um i know india and china um th- through hissy fit about the wording coal. on coal. That's right. What was it again? You, have you got it? Or what? The actual wording. Yeah. So essentially, they they didn't like the uh, the phrase phasing out. Mm. They didn't want to phase out coal. In fact, they insisted on using the phrase phasing down, which essentially means nothing. I mean, that means that that basically use one less coal nothing. rock a year. <laughs> well, um, one of the main Chinese news agencies said on Wednesday put out a big press release 
you know, one of these big state Chinese press releases, all happy because they produce more coal than ever before on a single day. They they had mined twelve million tons of of coal in a day. Um, That's so, so backwards. So when they so, and I, I've read somewhere that they so China mined twelve million tons of coal in a single day, and then when you consume that, if you consumed all those twelve mm. million tons, that would be the same as Ireland's use energy use for an entire year. Oh my god! So these these countries, India, who I have slightly more sympathy for, and China. Mm. These are the people that need to, or these are the nations that need to be making the most commitments because they are, well, the US, China, um, India, Russia, mm. and Brazil, etc. Mm. The big, the big industrial the big nations, places. essentially, yeah. are the ones that need to be making the most commitments. And coal is so obviously filthy. Mm. Yeah. And when China, uh, you know, have the ability to produce nuclear reactors. They have the uh, ability to, to to produce massive hydroelectric dams, and yet they're still trumpeting the fact that that you know they they can use all this coal. And what we need as a, as a globe, essentially, what we need as a globe is to be using twenty six point six gigatons of mm, saw that graphic of yeah. gas emissions by twenty thirty. And all COP has done has pledged that we're going to get to 41 gigatons. Mm. It's almost double. And that's with all the COP. That is down from 56, I believe. Yeah, it's down. down, So that is... I mean, it's it's not... It's not the end... It's not bad. I think think it's still the commitments that have been raised are excellent. But firstly, there's no... There's no guarantee that those pledges are even going to be hit. It's not legally binding, is it? Yeah, none of those pledges are necessarily even going to be hit. And they don't even go far enough even if everyone was on target. Um, and I think you're completely right. You will just see now, it's just going to get worse, it's going to get worse. And I don't think anything enough will be done until all these countries are fast. Yeah, and, and it, what's interesting is that China is, is a, and, and India, in fact, are countries and nations that have felt the impact of climate change. And you've just got to think, what sort of level does it need to be impacting their 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 people or to the point where they care enough to to actually start making some really radical, some really scary commitments, scary but you know life saving and world saving um, that that are really needed um, to really save the planet. And you know, unfortunately, you have a battle of rich nations versus the big polluters and and the uh, sorry, rich nations who are um, big polluters versus the poor poor states, which are the ones that are really affected by climate change. And also, I don't know if you saw um, Alok Sharma did, was sort of addressing delegates at the end of the of the conference, and he actually held back tears when he apologised for the watering down of. Um, of the deal um, and actually he sort of choked on his own words and lots of people stood up and clapped and I, I actually I'm going to say something big here I think he's done extraordinarily well yeah considering the circumstances you've got lots of big powers sort of ha- you know breathing down his neck in terms of you know their vested interests but he's managed to get the world together all 197 nations and agree you know some some good some At good least a points. Package, yeah, yeah, a little, little package, and also what's I think was <laughs> little package, not like mine. Um, you know, what's really important is that they're going to come back next year and yeah. do it all again, which I think is great because you know it's sort of like a, a threat. Like, yeah, you know how much See you there pa- next how much work this yeah. took. We're going to do it next year because it wasn't good enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I understand and I'm completely empathetic with you know um, civil rights camp- uh, environment campaigners saying it's not enough and. They're right. It's not enough, but I think it's a good step forward in the right direction. That's true. Apparently, if you're looking at some of the pledges made as well, obviously um, a large number of countries said that they would give up coal by 2030. So I think that was most of the the major powers, apart from the US and China. Mm-hmm. But South Korea, for example, were one country that said that they would. Um, basically be coal free by by 2030 um and then so they made that big announcement at cop that's very exciting and then when they got home they actually uh, pointed to a clause in the pledge basically saying 2030s or as soon as possible thereafter 
and then reevaluated and said oh, we'll actually stop burning coal in uh, 2049 oh, for fuck's sake so I think that's one instance of these big statements everyone goes wow that's so good mm. you know I mean it, all these countries are really trying their hardest and then when they get home they're just saying oh, just crack on as normal boys and we'll get there eventually what do you think I know we've talked about how when do you think is going to be the year in which we reach that point where there's going to be so much damage happening around the world, so many disasters that people think, shit, we're going to have to be... Not very long. I, I, I genuinely think by 2030, things will be happening every single year. Like like big floods and, and all this sort of stuff will, might not even start being news because it's just going to be, what well, in this country, for example, just because it's going to be happening all the time and people are going to be being displaced and all this. And, and eventually... You know that that's going to take real effect, but I think I think you will start seeing it happening more and more and more, and it's only going to accelerate as well. It's not going to like get a, gradually you know, a little bit worse. A little. I think once it starts to get worse, we're past, we're past that point. Aren't yeah, we? it's going to just keep mm. accelerating and keep getting worse at a faster and faster rate. So, I'm just glad we live in this country right now. To be not to be mm. horrible or anything, but well, supposedly this country will get colder because of uh, climate change because the the Gulf Stream yes the Antar- mm, the ice at the top of the world uh, is it the Antar- Antar- the Arctic the Arctic the Arctic ice will, will melt and it will cool the Gulf Stream which warms up on the world will it cool the Gulf Stream or will the Gulf Stream it will be stop moved it, no it will like it will um, it will be moved obstruct away. it will obstruct yeah. the Gulf Stream which, which it warms imagine up that imagine that if we're, not, if we're not in the Gulf Stream we'll be like Sweden, they're going to be absolutely fucking freezing without the Gulf Stream. I have to move to the Virgin Islands. I'm going to have to sell my shorts. I'm going to have to move to the Virgin Islands and take up a second job as a pool cleaner. In in all honesty, you say that, I am really considered... You know that I love New Zealand. Yeah. I know that you love New Zealand. No, it's all right. I wouldn't move there. Okay. Do you want to move there? Well, I'm thinking, if things become really, really badly, yes. Potentially. Yeah, I think you've got to get in there now, though. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to be clogged up with other environmental refugees. <laughs> you think there's going to be sort of a migrant crisis? Maybe. In New Zealand. New Zealand yeah, migrant. but I'm a skilled worker, skilled professional. Shit, what am I going to do? Don't know, mate. Fucked. So they take financial advisors over there. Mortgage oh, broker. God. Okay. Anyway, um, done with that. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. good. I think good commitments. Nothing will happen. <laughs> Too <plossy. Just> <laughs> uh, So dismissive. Let's talk to your your big vaccine thing then. Let's get on with that. So let's call let's call it for what it is. <clears throat> let's keep it up this end. Yeah, let's not start again <laughs> on the bums on the mics. You know. Um, so this is the news that NHS workers, alongside care workers, who are already. Uh, mandated and legislated to get their COVID vaccines will be legally mandated to be double jabbed for COVID by April 2022. Or be sacked. Or get the sack. You're fired. China. (laughs) You're fired. Um, Um, Thoughts? Thoughts? I think it's interesting that Sajid Javid um, is waiting until after the winter storm. Literally, can I just say and I'm, I'm sure I won't be the only one who says this, winter in the NHS is fucking shit. It is awful. It just normally. But this is the thing. Yeah. Exactly. It's usually shit in the winter because we have increased amounts of pressure, um, increased usage of our services, increased demand. We're already seeing that at the moment. And I think it's really quite sly how Jarvis said, yeah, we're going to sack you, but we're going to wait until you know, or winter pressures subside to kick you all out. Mm. And that's, I think that's really insulting because he's going to make them, basically make them work through really bad winter pressures and say, yep, yep, you can work. I know you're not vaccinated, but you've got until April. But, and then he's going to kick them out. That's really not cool. It's, it's interesting as well because I saw um, somewhere, can't remember where, that the government was planning from March that if you had COVID, if you get COVID in March, you don't have to self-isolate. You don't have to self-isolate. You can just crack on as normal. March 2022. March 2022. Mm-hmm. So by, by by that point, they basically think that it's going to be like any other sort of viral flu that you get. 
um, you you know you don't necessarily when you have normal flu you don't need to self isolate for for fourteen days or whatever. So I think it's going to be that level of uh, of virus by that point. So why in that case is it so important for all NHS staff to be double vaxxed by April? I do think I, that doesn't quite. I do think the timing is interesting because I think obviously by April twenty twenty two we're going to be going into a, a you know into the warmer months of the year and typically. Viral illnesses, colds, etc., stuff like that that you catch are not as prevalent. And I think it'll be, you know, I don't know whether the government are planning for COVID to have really subsided and it to be treated like flu or something like that. And actually, it's interesting that you say that it's going to be treated like flu in terms of going to work at self-isolation. I think there's a new culture that's really built um, that's come from COVID, which is if you're ill, it might it doesn't have to be COVID, but you don't come into work. I know some people mm. feel like they're, you know, they're troopers for coming in when they've got a real sniffling cold or really stonking cold. No, stay at home. Stop spreading it around the office. Yeah, and but part of that is just because of, it's not because of fear of COVID. I think it's just because now everyone now has the ability to work from home anyway. Mm. So it's before you didn't have that option at all you would just if you took the day off work you would just have to sit at home and watch you know flog it all day or whatever but now you can you have your laptop or if you're an office worker you normally have a laptop now that you can you know you can still complete your work from home and that's fine so if you're a bit ill you stay home um the office feels good because they're looking after you and you feel better as well because you're a bit rested but still able to go to work that's a good point um I do think it's very interesting, the vaccine mandate. Um, originally, when I saw it, I, I sort of thought, I don't know about I don't know about that. I'm not sure if I necessarily think it's a, it's a great idea when the NHS is already struggling for staff so much. Um, this, this is the other side but, of the but, argument. But then you told me that um, when I sort of spoke to you about it, you said, well, NHS staff already have to be vaccinated on another of, a, a number of other viruses and diseases already. So... Why not just add You're COVID right. to the mix? I, I wasn't allowed to have any patient contact when I started my university course until I had been at least started the vaccinations of Hep B, Hep C, you know, make sure it was MMR, um, the BCG, it uh, covers TB. So I had to have all of these before I could go on to placement at university. Um, and I don't know what I don't know whether because COVID vaccinations are so politicised at the moment about and the choice about whether to be vaccinated against COVID is so politicised that um, this is why people it, it's such a hot issue. Why are there so why are there no no shouts to, for people not to get vaccinated for Hep B, Hep C, MMR to go and work in the NHS? That it, it's, it's the whole point of it being a COVID jab and it being highly politicised. Um, and I think what's interesting as well in terms of me, so part of my code of conduct, conduct is to give public health advice and, and health advice, health promotion, right? However, I feel increasingly uncomfortable about talking about vaccinations to my patients. So one of the things I always ask when I triage them, I say, you know, double jabbed and they'll say yes or no. And, you know, as time goes on, I, I do get increasingly uncomfortable about challenging those people because it is so politicised. Yeah. No one, no one would look at me, raise an eyebrow for saying, "No, please don't, don't, don't lick stuff on that you find on the floor. Don't pick up stuff that you find on the floor. Don't drink someone else's drink that that, that you've, I don't know, could be piss." Or, or even, or even for saying, I don't know what when this would happen, but they they were saying, "Oh, I'm going to Brazil." And you're saying, well, can you get your rabies vaccination, get, please? Get vaccinated. Yeah. Um, but Whereas it's different with COVID, It's very different. It? And, you know, people, you know, when people are presented with the evidence, um, they, they they sort of sw switch into this very binary, stoical, no, no, sorry, that's not true. You know, I'm not going to get a no, no. And they just sort of retract into this this place where they don't listen to, to, to what a health professional is telling them. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's really interesting. I know that the health unions. You said to me the health unions are all for or very much against the the mandate. Um, and I I told this is what I told you over text, didn't I? I said the health unions are very much. It's very much a win win situation for them because they've got the majority of their their members that members of the health union are already vaccinated and are pretty apathetic to most issues. And well, that's that's health unions for you. Uh, 
but there is a small portion of them who are not want to get uh, who are not want not going to want to get vaccinated who who they can stick up for so it's a win-win for them so i'd be interested to know what the percentage of nhs staff who aren't double vaxxed are we have um at my work an email that goes around it's like an updating email about how many covid patients are in the trust uh, and also how the vaccinate how the percentage of people who are vaccinated in each sector are um and i think most of the the syringes because there are syringes in the graphic uh, are above 70 percent but that's it's not that that's many. yeah lower than i thought it's lower than the general population mm. however i think when it comes to f- actually firing these workers their reasons really need to be explored it won't happen. I know. I know. I don't think it will happen. You're gonna get. You're gonna say if this. It's a. It's a intimidation tactic. They want them to get vaccinated, and they want them to do it now. I think if you if you got there, and there's some senior people who aren't vaccinated, they're not gonna go up to them in April and be like, "Pack your things." No chance. Mm, and I think you're gonna get to a point in any sector where. The people that, you know, you've got the majority of people who are vaccinated. The people who are unvaccinated are going to be really... You're going they're to need going to, to dig ta- in. They're going to dig in and you're going to need to take a pers- an individual approach to each one of them because their reasons will be wildly different. You've not got this, you know, you know, very held, uh, sort of majority held belief that vaccines are good uh, and they protect the, the country, which they do, um, uh, you know, who are all, 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 all for getting the vaccine. But you're going to have to take a, a, an individual approach. And in my eyes, as a healthcare professional, there are not that many valid reasons for not getting vaccinated. No. There are religious beliefs that I, 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 don't, I can't comment on and understand. There are allergy-related um, things that where you literally you have if you have anaphylaxis to certain vaccines and every part of that bit is in a va- that ingredient is so in a vaccine small, it is small tiny percentage it is small and that is a totally valid reason yeah. but if they're thinking that uh, I'm sorry I don't want to get it because uh, there's no evidence to say it works that's horseshit there's no you know they say I don't want to get it because it's going to affect my fertility that's horseshit you know yeah these are the sorts of things, you know, this misinformation and in this misinformation age where you get the University of Facebook and the University of Reddit, you know, people are getting their information and getting their evidence, I'm going to use air quotes there, from places like that. That's what they need to explore with the individual and say, why aren't you going to take the vaccine? What, you know, can, can we discuss why? Wouldn't you say it's a, a pretty big issue if health professionals aren't getting vaccinated because they don't believe information released by their own employer. They, they don't believe research completed by people from their own industry, people that supposedly they look up to and supposedly they're doing similar jobs to. And and they're perhaps they're even giving vaccinations to people when they don't believe in it. That is a larger issue, but... Right now, we can't be picky. No. We need everybody. Well, this you know is I mean? why I think it's, it's been delayed until April 2022. And you, you're right. I, I think, personally, I think there's a real issue when you have healthcare professionals such as myself who are following evidence-based practice or, or practice that is based on evidence that works, that, that will improve the outcome of an individual, which doesn't take into the evidence that's there for the vaccine that's not said very well but you know people who ignore you know following evidence in one area of their life and not following it in another yeah i think that's contradictory and i think i don't think it's it's not it's a good not look even, for a healthcare it's professional. not even in two areas of their life it's the same area it's just it's the personal same and then professional mm-hmm. it's just themselves and then doing it to other people mm-hmm. um but yeah i think by i just don't i don't get the it's interesting i hadn't thought of because they just want to have winter done to then think of the issue but it it just seems pointless to do it in april because i i i don't think next winter it's going to be as much of an issue or it's, it's barely going to register with people um so why... i think that might might have been behind the reasoning but so why even put it in is my thought it's nudging so Isn't you it? think it is so what i said i i think it's just intimidation you agree 
Nudging, yeah. I mean, you, you have... Uh, that's what the government would call it. So you've got... You, you've had similar nudging before. You've had... In, um, uh, in the in the summer, you had um, the government come out and say, we're going to introduce vaccine passports for all clubs and all bars. You've got a, a swathe of young people going, oh, fuck it. I'm, oh, I want to go into a bar when they open up. So, of course, they're going to get their vaccines. And obviously, they scrapped it. In my opinion, that's very clever. Yeah. They, they didn't... They didn't absolutely say they were going to bring it in they but sort of said, leak, leaked it to the they press said it's very lightly and they said it lightly just, and then they just said no i'm not going to do that i think that's so clever yeah that's good good nudging i think you think it's the same well i hope it's the same well the thing is is that they've already brought this in on care workers and i think this is a more I important that, issue because it's you don't work in the healthcare sector but your some of your family might get looked after in the healthcare sector, and you're, you yourself as well. So I think it is an area of life that does creep in and seep in to everyone's life. But in you, it's it's easier to make the argument that that um, care workers should um, be double vaxxed more than just general healthcare professionals because the older age group, people that are in care homes, and uh, are more susceptible to get seriously ill and to die of COVID than just... Vulnerable people don't necessarily equate to the elderly, though. You've got people like no. learn difficulties are more vulnerable. You've got people Perhaps a more pertinent point that I was trying to make is mm. that they've already brought that in. Like, that's already in place, and it's already... And so now it's in place already for the winter, whereas... I just think the only problem I have is the date, and it really confuses me, and it thinks it the, makes the whole thing pointless. The date is to try and yeah. get as many people working over the winter. Um, do, do you want to just... Shall I quickly be the devil's advocate? We will move on. Okay. This. What about the libertarian argument? Which is? Which is... Uh, it should be the individual's choice about whether to get vaccinated. Um, I would argue that... Um, because I, I, I generally have libertarian viewpoints on a few things um not all things but on a few things i i I agree with that argument but in this case um i don't agree because you you go for the utilitarian which is (laughs) the greater good not necessarily greater good not necessarily the greater good but it isn't just your life you're affecting therefore the argument doesn't stack up as well so for example for example you know if i don't get vaccinated then there's more likelihood that, that you're going to get ill because of my decision, you know, because I could pass it on easier to you. And also another argument is that this is your job and part of your job is to keep people safe and well. So the libertarian argument doesn't stack up when you're at work. It's not the same. I mean, you can make personal choices in your own life, but if you want this job, then you have to do what the, your employer tells you to do. And this is what they're telling you to do. So shut up. I don't I don't disagree with you. I was merely being the devil's advocate there. Should we move on to the extremely exciting Article 16? Oh, it's so exciting. So have you got any notes on it? Four. I'll, let me walk you through what's going yeah. on. I'm sure opinions will float in. One, one, so, <clears throat> what is Article 16? Do you know? I don't know, Henry. Why don't you tell me? Let me just do one big burp and then I'll tell you. Right. <clears throat> okay, so... Article 16... quality of this podcast is going down the fucking drain. Article 16 was a clause in the Brexit trade deal agreement with the EU. The, okay. Is that the withdrawal agreement? With, in the withdrawal agreement. Yep. Um, and basically, at the moment, the, the Great Britain, which excludes Northern Ireland, has different um, trading checks than the Northern Ireland and Ireland. So what happened pre-Brexit was obviously free goods could move anywhere without necessarily being checked. and Well, still being checked, but without having to go through customs and having fees put on them, etc. What happened after Brexit was that they realised if you're putting checks on between Ireland and Northern Ireland on goods, that... Um, What's going to affect it doesn't, Northern, it affects, uh, Irish peace? It affects the Good Friday Agreement, Good which Friday. is more important because it's so it was so hard to get that agreement than not having it. Essentially, do you so, know who brought in the Good Friday Agreement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me just do. The, let me explain. Your boyfriend. Let me just Tony. Ex- let me just explain this. Okay. Let me just explain this. Okay. Right. So they thought 
we can't put checks in between Ireland and Northern Ireland. So they came to a compromise. And the compromise was that if goods were coming from Great Britain, that's England, Wales, Scotland, what would happen is they go over the Irish Sea into Northern Ireland and then they're checked at Northern Irish ports. They do customs there. And then if they're going to Ireland, then they can just they put the fees on, they go to Ireland. If they're not going to, if they're staying in Northern Ireland, they just stay in Northern Ireland and there's no checks done. Now, that is quite confusing because... I thought you explained it quite well. I mean, the whole the whole customs process is confusing because it doesn't seem like a permanent arrangement. Like, Northern Ireland is still the same country as England, Wales, etc. still part of, you know, the same government. So that... it. it the UK government thought, we're not sure this is necessarily going to work long term. It's quite a light touch, isn't it? Yeah, it's not necessarily going to work long term because it adds a lot of confusion and adds a lot of um, extra work. Um, and also, the loyalists in Northern Ireland don't like it because it means that Northern Ireland is effectively becoming slightly more towards Ireland and slightly pushed further away Detached. from Great Britain. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. It didn't quite work there. Um, and what's happened is it, this has sort of been building and building and building where the UK government don't like it very much, but they're continuing to go through with the process and the EU are very happy to carry on overseeing the process. So they're the, they're the ones that do all the customs. They're the ones that manage the process, EU. Um, the UK government says they're taking it too seriously. They're slowing down checks on goods um, and they're disturbing um, trade. The EU says... You signed up for this yeah. in the first place. You're the one who signed off on the agreement. Therefore, we're going to complete our jobs to a fullest of our ability. What I personally think is um, the EU is giving the finger to the UK, basically saying, you agreed to this. Although, yes, we are taking it too far with the checks. That's too bad. That's just that's just one of the that's just one of the ways that you know that you didn't think about when you thought about leaving yeah, the EU. Absolutely. And and what, you know, if you if you and I sign up to a contract, but then, why are you going to kick up a fuss when I'm merely uh, asking you to live then, up to your obligations yeah. of the contract? So 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 what I didn't explain what article 16 is. So article mm. 16 is a provision within that trade agreement that says if it's not working, if something in the agreement isn't working, um, each party, so the EU or the UK, could then invoke Article 16, which means they can, it, 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 well, it can mean a range of things. You can change bar- various things in the agreement, or you can cancel the entire mm. trade agreement completely. At a month's notice. At, yeah, with a month's notice. So it, it could end up going very, very badly, because the EU, in no sense of the word, is prepared to back down and change the rules which they've put in place. And the UK, to be honest, and they they're not willing to just keep doing this forever because it won't work. It's a weird system. It doesn't quite make sense. It's something that was hashed together because Boris wants to get his agreement through. Mm. Um, and, and I think if it is invoked, it could have really, really serious implications for trade and have really serious implications for our lives on a daily basis. Mm. So, do you think it's going to be invoked? Yeah. You do. I think you will be think invoked. So. Yeah. I mean, I think it just it goes with the trend that the UK government are taking at the moment, which is picking a fight with the EU all the time. It's one that is quite works quite well with the, the British voters because um, you know Boris has bought uh, has won a lot of battles on the B word, hasn't he? With with the B word being implicated, B word being Brexit. Um, but I, th- you know, this is an argument that I, what I'm about to say is an argument I've always used pre-2016 as well, during the EU referendum. Why would the EU give us a better deal than the deal we had when we were in their club? If we, if you or I are part of the Alex and Henry club and I decide to leave, but I say I want better terms, you're going to tell me where to shove it. Completely. And why, but would, I don't why th- would the EU not take that line? They don't want other countries to leave the EU, do they? They want country to see. They're making an example of us, which, to be honest... You know, I can, can completely understand. They're making an example that if you leave the EU trading block, you are going to get worse terms than than when you were in our little club. I agree uh, to an extent. Um, yes, I think that you can't expect 
better terms and and nor do we get better terms in any way shape or form sunlit hardlands and I'd also agree that Johnson constantly playing hardball isn't going to work on this on this in this instance because looks good though well well because firstly we're the ones affected by the by the harsh customs checks and it's of no concern to France or Germany or any of these other countries about Northern Irish goods. It's such a tiny market to them, but it's a really big deal to us that it gets sorted, and it's a big deal for peace as well. Um, but I would say that the EU obviously recognise, or they don't. Well, they don't recognise. They understand that this isn't something that can go on forever, but they're just willing to let us bleed over it, and it isn't going to work long term. So I think maybe we do need to go back to the drawing board. And if Article 16 is invoked, that's going to have really wide-ranging implications, not just for us, but for them as well. So mm. um, it, if, if, if the deal isn't working now, although, yes, we should never have signed up to it in the first place, but that's past now. Can we not just, you know, can we get this issue sorted? And then I think generally it seems to be working out all right. I think Lord Frost is really, really funny when he's like, oh no, we just can't accept these terms. Of course, these are the terms that he negotiated, yeah. that he signed, <laughs> signed off on. Um, I think in terms of, you know, the fact that this whole protocol is based on the preservation of peace between Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland. I think that is really key for the EU playing ball. I think if it wasn't about peace, and if it, if peace wasn't so hard fought, hard, hardly... Um, hard fought. Hard fought, thank you, um, in Ireland, they wouldn't give a shit, would they? Well, if it, was, well, if it wasn't... Well, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for the Good Friday What if agreement? it was just like a friendly spat? No, what I mean is if <laughs> if the Good Friday Agreement wasn't in place, then this, yeah. these checks wouldn't even be happening in the first place. Yeah, the, I mean, the method is so confusing. Mm. The fact that you have to get some goods checked because they're going to Ireland and the EU, and some goods, like, not checked, and it, but it's handled by the EU, but it's handled in Northern Irish ports. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. And apparently, the reason why it's really coming to a head now is because the DUP have elections coming up next summer so they really want to be seen to be unionist obviously which they are Mm -hmm. and they wanted to say that this isn't good enough we don't want to be closer to ireland we want to be closer to the uk what are you going to do about it and at the moment the government doesn't have an answer apart from to say let's just throw the whole thing away which isn't going to work really is it and actually sort of some lefty liberal remainers such as myself um will be saying you know this is what we envisaged. You know, this is... Sorry to say it, lads. I told, I you, told so. you so. Oh, God. You know, it's tiring. This is gonna, good, it's going it? to be decades of trade negotiations, treaty, you know, um, con- changes and everything like that to get to a place where we're happy with the, the agreement and what we've got going with the EU. And this is what we this is what we envisaged. Again. And this is why I've had to Again, if, if this is something that is invoked soon and it's an issue that um if article 16 is invoked and i'm not i don't think that things are going to happen where the whole trade agreement is going to be thrown away i think that's that's far too far i don't think anything like that's going to happen but it could mean quite significant trade war and Mm. and if that if that starts to happen with the uk really struggling already it's just going to get worse for for for, uh, for the government as it is, and and again we talk every. I feel like every week we talk about pi- problems piling up. This is just another one to add to the list over yeah. the winter. And you've especially got you've got the problem with the HGV drivers already, which seems to have gone on the back burner a little bit. Now we've got the sleaze. Um, Although I walked into co-op earlier, yeah. which all I wanted to buy was a bit of dinner. Yeah. They got fuck all on the shelves. Yeah. I was really annoyed. I had to buy frozen do you know, do you know how many, chicken breast. Do you know how many people applied to the HGV scheme that the government set up? Wasn't it like nine people? Nine. Nine. Well, There's a massive to- shortage. <laughs> Nine's not going to fix it. Yeah, and it affected my shopping earlier, which I was a bit pissed off about. What were you looking to get? Well, I was looking to make sort of a chicken salad. So you've got rocket, you've got uh, grilled chicken. Chicken salad. You've got avocado, you've got tomatoes, you've got red onions, you've got croutons. You've got a lovely mayo mustard dressing. Mm. Yeah, really nice. Sounds nice. Anyway, what are you uh, up to later? Got anything on? 
Um, oh, I'm going to go to the pub quiz. Pub you're, quiz. You're, well, you've invited me last minute. And ha- sorry, how was I described on your on your WhatsApp group there? Uh, just as my boyfriend. That's all right, though. You don't mind that, do you? No, I don't mind it at all. That's how I've been describing you. <laughs> so I thought you'd be describing me in the same way, no? My lover is how I describe My it. lover. My lover. <laughs> nice. I think that was a good one. That Enjoy. was a good one. And we're bang on time. What time is it, big boy? One hour, four minutes. It's Always. Great. Just like that. Right, just... We're like a couple of fucking Casios over here. I tell you, what, yeah, <laughs> do you know they're they're some of the most reliable watches? No, they are. Yeah. Apparently, they're used on IEDs, or they were used in IEDs in Iraq and Afghanistan. Got, so reliable. So apparently, when my friend joined the Marines, you obviously had like a shop, like a army shop, where you could get bits from, and uh, like the first week, they were like, you can buy your G Shocks or you can buy your expensive. You know, hard watches, no point. Within a week, they'll be destroyed. Just buy a black Casio and it will survive the whole time because they're made of absolute rocks. I've got, I've got a Casio that I, I was, that was given to me when I started refereeing on weekends when I was 14. Uh, it still works. The, yeah. the strap is broken, but what, the, it still tells the time right now. The watch still the, tells still, the time. Still the I'm battery. Think, the still, battery. What? It hasn't, the battery hasn't died. Nope. That is fucking crazy. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, that is ask, 12 years. I'm going to ask for one for Christmas. I have, I've got... One with a silver strap. Mm, a metal one you're going for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, got yeah. a black strap one here. Let's have a look. It's just there. No, no, that's that one's... That one is waterproof, yeah. but um, I accidentally opened it up because I tried to change the battery in it. Oh, no, it's not waterproof. But this one? I like that one. With the gold one? Yeah, yeah, gold, very gold. nice. Um, for, the, for the listeners, it's got a black strap with a gold face. I like that, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. It's quite nice. Good to see you as always. Love you, mate. Yeah, love you too. See you uh, in a minute. I'll see, see you next week.